0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And Rob, I am so excited for the movie you picked today because it is our very first Weird House Cinema leather diaper barbarian movie. Uh, the it, 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 I can't believe it's taken us this long to do one because the LDBM – is a almost perfect subgenre well suited <laughs> to to I think our sort of knowledge bases and and tastes and and one of my favorite things about the leather diaper movies of the 80s is yes they you know they have a basis in the sort of conan thing you'll have a strong guy with muscles wearing mm-hmm. a loincloth he carries a sword or an axe or maybe he just wrestles or something but what I love about the movies like this from the 80s is that they so often start mixing genres in a in a bizarre, haphazard, almost blindfolded way. So uh, the, the pinnacle of this, I think I've mentioned on the show before, is a movie called Your Hunter from the Future in which a, a Conan-type guy, muscle dude in leather diaper, uh, does battle at the end of the movie with Darth Vader – but this one we're going to be talking about today is, in fact, a Hercules movie where Hercules fights robots.
1: Yes, this is um, – okay, so it's definitely a sword and sandals muscle man movie. Yeah. But it is also very spacey in a way that, that doesn't quite uh, – it doesn't go so far as to say this is science fiction Hercules. Um, it it it's still grounded in some sort of mythic sensibilities and in mm-hmm. an idea that we're we're in antiquity, but everything is also just totally. Ooh, uh, I was thinking of it. It's like, what if Hercules? and the and t- stories of hercules were just totally italian space disco but without the italian space disco music but just right. that sense of like glittering sparkling cosmos and sweat and uh yeah it's uh, and sexuality and
0: uh, and so forth uh, that's that's what this movie feels like it also has that uh italian disco sci-fi sense of it's a movie where they don't even try to hide the strings in the special effects shots. Mm -hmm. So you'll see like, you know, there's the jar from which all creation emerges when it explodes in space. And so they have a special effects shot where there's a jar floating in a star field and then it blows up, but then you see pieces of it are just dangling from strings and they leave it in the shot. And yeah, (laughs) I, I, high five for that.
1: Yeah. The, the effects in this film are ambitious, uh, but often imperfect, but in a way that has real charm to
0: it, you know? Um, I, I he, won't say that many of the effects in this movie look great, but uh, I did enjoy them. Yes, they're very enjoyable. They're And
1: they're often different from... Like, you go into a film like this and you expect... Uh, you know, special effects that don't quite knock it out of the park, uh-huh. but but this one it, it it goes in some directions you don't really expect. There's a lot of um, sort of transparencies and um, uh, a lot of things sparkling and sort of exploding with electronic synth uh, mm-hmm. that you you're not expecting to explode like that. Um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun.
0: Oh, but there's another thing we haven't even mentioned yet. So so this is Hercules 1983. Mm-hmm. Starring Lou Ferrigno as Hercules, mm-hmm. uh, you might know from from playing the Hulk on the old TV show. Though I never saw him in that, I think I know him mainly from the movie Pumping Iron, which is a documentary in which he just plays himself at a at like the you know the weightlifting competitions. Mm-hmm. And in that, he's sort of the underdog character, and he's he's squaring off against Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they're both pumping and and explaining why they pump better. And uh, uh, but, but anyway, so this is Hercules 1983 starring Lou Ferrigno, but this is also a Canon Films picture. This is a Golan Globus movie, uh, and so whenever you see the Canon Films logo, y- y- certain things that suggests something about the flavors yeah. that are going to follow. You know, Canon Films is famous for in this period in the 80s. Making movie after movie that are in uh, the the genre that I would call poster first, you have a poster yeah. before you have a script, and the poster is almost always a guy with a machine gun and then some other things in the background
1: right right yeah there's often a, a very a very macho feel a very uh, it, it just just all things eighties uh wound up in a, in a Canon's film and uh, i, I can 't remember if we 've actually covered uh, a Canon film on here before. Um, But I'm sure if this is the first, it won't be the last. Oh, surely not.
0: Oh, but, okay, so yes, Hercules 1983, Canon Films, it is, at its heart, yes, it is a muscle guy movie. Absolutely, a a shining jewel
1: in the long cinematic tradition of muscle man movies. Uh, The the basic principle of these films is, of course, you usually have just a a bare-chested muscle man hero who must battle evil and save the day, generally with just his brute strength. Um, the flavor is generally mythic, you know, sword and sandal comic book stuff. Uh, you know, sometimes it goes in more of a sci-fi direction. Uh, for example, uh, movies we have covered on Weird House Cinema, Hands of Steel and Arena, those are both, to a certain extent, muscle man movies. We both have, especially Hands mm-hmm. of Steel. But, uh, but for the most part, we're dealing with stuff that's more, yeah, more sword and sandals, sort of uh, strong man uh, shenanigans. You cast a bodybuilder,
0: and then you just watch the movie come to life around that physique. <laughs> Right. Um, I I do agree that that is the heart of it is like a, a character who must use their brute strength in order to defeat the villain. So they're swinging a sword or they're wrestling or they're wielding a hammer. You know, it's the barbarian type, the Hercules type. But there was a strange phenomenon in the 80s. I'm sure you'll know immediately what I'm talking about, where the Muscle Man movie and the guy with the machine gun on the poster movie sort of merged. Uh, a mm. great example of this is Commando, starring yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> where the premise of the movie is that the hero is a man who shoots guns at the bad guys, uh, but they also just get a bodybuilder to play him. So the main characteristic of the hero is that he is, you know, 800 pounds of stiff beef, but he also just like, you know, uses guns.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, it's important to, to to note the sort of bodybuilder turned actor thing. The um, the sort of non actor that's brought into play uh, the character in these roles. Um, it, I feel like it is really vital to the whole um, recipe for success here. Like you, mm-hmm. you don't want. Uh, you know, too much of a thespian in there. No matter how muscular they are, you know that's why I, I just I could only be so interested in the idea of the Rock playing Hercules in the the more recent Hercules movie. The Rock is great. Dwayne Johnson is a is is a really really solid action star, and he's huge. He's huger now than ever before physically. But I feel like he's too good of an actor to play Hercules. You know. <laughs>
0: That that's kind of yeah that's a good point. Um, I I think you could make a case that Arnold Schwarzenegger also though has a lot of natural screen charisma. But one thing about this movie uh, that I like is that so you got Lou Ferrigno as Hercules, and he I don't want to be mean, but he he's not good. He's not acting really in this, and but he works in the role because I think somehow the worse the actor is, like the less screen charisma they have. The easier it is for them to come off like an underdog, even though they are 800 pounds of hard beef. So this guy, you know, he's just a wall of muscle and he might look kind of like a bully beating up on the bad guys, except that he's kind of awkward and and doesn't say his lines in a very natural way. And that gets you on his side somehow.
1: Yeah, you don't want him to be too confident uh, or, you know, to, to have that confidence actually shine through in the performance. So, yeah, a lot of these, you know, I'll mention a few examples. Yeah, a lot of the, these movies come about with a, a non-actor muscle man that's, you know, pulled out of, generally out of the the bodybuilding world. And, mm. and is, you know, they strap the rockets to him. And sometimes they ascent, like— Arnold is an example of that. Arnold, I guess, arguably gets better at acting as his career uh, uh, proceeds. But I was looking back at Michael Weldon's um, in the Psychotronic uh, video and film guides, uh, his write-up for the original Conan movie. And he refer he, he kind of pans it. He's kind of like, ah, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's another Dino film. It's, uh, you know, it's all excess. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's non-actor Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, <laughs> punching a, a camel. And that's the only memorable moment in the film. I mean, it is hard to forget the camels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ultimately, ultimately I disagree with uh, with Weldon on this, but he was looking at
0: it like more or less around the time of the release, too. So. But, uh, but another great thing about Hercules 1983 is that it doesn't require the hero to do much acting. I mean, Hercules doesn't really need to say a lot in this movie. Many of the scenes are him sort of being led around by other characters and and instructed to do things and then he does them
1: right uh you, you know usually brute strength uh pretending to pick up a giant styrofoam boulder but uh-huh. doing so in a way that really like shows off the muscles and uh and of course as a director you have to make sure that all those muscles are, are are lit and and oiled appropriately <laughs> so yeah. there's a real art What's to it the-
0: what was the lotion budget for this movie <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah um now if, if you're interested in a deeper dive into the history of muscle men movies uh, i have to recommend a book i was looking i didn't get a chance to, to to pick it up and read it and do a deeper dive but it's titled descended from hercules biopolitics and the muscled male body on screen by film mm. scholar robert a rushing um this looks like a, a really interesting read because I think it, it, it looks like it gets into the, a lot of the questions, not only the history of these movies, but also what does it mean when you take a body like this and you, 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 you put it on the big screen and you make it be like the center of like truth and justice and, uh, you know, all admirable qualities. In in hypertrophy veritas. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the Muscle Man movie eventually grows to include such films as Conan the Barbarian, uh, Beastmaster, Uh, 300 would be a more recent Muscle Man uh, movie. It's not centered so much around one Muscle Man, but like all Muscle Men, uh, I guess. Uh, And you might well guess that, well, I guess all of this began with the mythic Hercules, right? I mean, he's been a popular figure, uh, you know, since antiquity. I mean, he was a, you know, a Roman sensation. He's the equivalent of the Greek uh, Heracles, but the interesting thing, um, and this is something that, that Rushing points out in his book, of course, is that muscle man movies begin actually with another figure. Uh, one that I'd never heard of till I started reading Michael Weldon's Psychotronic Film Guides, and that's um, uh, Machiste. This, uh, this, uh, this is the original Italian cinema muscle man.
0: So a lot of the movies that I've always thought of as Hercules movies were actually uh, – machiste or machiste movies that Mm -hmm. were like retitled for uh, American audiences with with Hercules or they give them some other muscle man name like Samson or something.
1: Right. Yeah. But machiste was the original. And apparently this just means it's kind of like machismo, you know, so it basically means the macho man. The film that apparently kicked all of this off was 1914's uh, uh, Cabiria. This was directed by Giovanni uh, Pastrone. This is an epic set during the Second Punic War, based loosely on Gustave Flaubert's 1862 novel, uh, Salambo, which I've, I've never read. I have a beautiful paperback copy of it on my shelf, but I've never actually read it. Oh, interesting. So 1914, this goes yeah. way back. This goes way back. This is like, this is legitimately one of the oldest and most popular figures, uh, hero figures
0: in cinematic history. So, this wouldn't make sense though that muscle man movies would go back to silent film times or even this far back, but you know, back to a time when I mean in the early days of film, a lot of what they were putting on film was not like dialogue driven narratives, but it was something that they thought would be interesting to look at.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now this first film though, um uh, Cabiria was apparently a huge hit and was also highly stylish. You, look at, you can look up stills of this or even footage of it, I believe, where you can see like these epic sets. It was a, a true sword and sandals epic uh, that influenced a number of different filmmakers of the silent era. It's regarded as a silent era classic, but it also had this character who I don't even think is like the, the central character, but he's the, uh, he's the huge muscular slave to the Roman spy uh, Fulvius, who is on a spying mission to Carthage? I believe mm. in this film, and uh, and people really connected with this hero. Like, who is this big muscular guy? He's the breakout character. He's the Boba Fett of this movie. Yeah, it's like I want
0: is. I want to know more about Machiste. I want the yeah. muscle
1: guy. So Machiste in this was played by um, um, Bartolomeo uh, Pagano, who lived 1878 through 1947. Um, he was a stevedore who was like discovered, like they see him and they're like that guy. That is our, our Machiste. Uh, they they haul him in and they cast him in the role. <laughs> and he goes on to play machiste almost exclusively for the rest of his career. All told, we're talking 30 films in which he plays machiste out of a 32 film filmography over the course of 14 years, I believe.
0: So also when this guy hits it big, no previous acting experience. Right. Right. No
1: previous acting experience and and he just stuck like he stuck with what works here. I'm seeing a
0: trend of like nearly a century now. Yeah so uh, uh, pagano becomes <laughs> get those muscles in front of the camera
1: <laughs> so uh, pagano uh, he becomes an international film star these machiste films are a big hit though they're often retitled in foreign markets so the character becomes known at least for subsequent films uh, as hercules or Samson you know the um, mm. uh, the, 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 uh, the, the biblical character, or mm. the other biblical character that you might think of
0: when you think of uh, intense physical strength Goliath that's a strange choice because wasn't Goliath the villain of the story in the Bible the, the he was the the Philistine soldier who David had to defeat even though David was smaller he beat him by using his wits by like yeah I mean it's, a, a weakness. It's only one of the you know the most famous
1: um, like Old Testament stories, right? I mean, it's yeah. it always makes for great uh, uh, you know great illustrations and works of art, cinematic treatments. Uh, George
0: Eastman played Goliath in one adaptation. We might remember, huh? But so, but it didn't matter. Like, oh yeah, Goliath, he's our hero now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, when a character is that muscular, I guess, and that strong, how can he be anything other than the hero of a picture? Uh, By the way, this also reminds me of how many of the El Santo movies were were relabeled as Samson for foreign markets. Hmm. So just, I don't know, strong name. I don't know. They they, they Uh, just want, want to get people in there. Now, uh, the character Machiste would live on long after uh, Pagano retired, appearing throughout the 60s and even the 70s. I think he shows up in some Jess Franco movies. But Machiste would basically just go on to fight various villains and monsters. He doesn't need to be part of a more epic plot. He's just here to do good and fight evil. He travels to the underworld. (laughs) Uh, Like, I think there's basically a Machiste Inferno movie. I don't know how much... um, um, of, of dante's original text is actually involved there in, in that but uh but he he apparently goes to the inferno uh but he's often played in subsequent films by bodybuilders turned actors
0: now, as far as the Muscleman movie timeline goes, uh, I could be wrong about this, but I remember having an impression that these got huge in Italy and then subsequently around the world in, like, the 60s. Am I right about that? Yes.
1: And that's where we actually see the first Hercules movies, where it's not just a uh, retitle at Hercules, but let's make a movie about Hercules. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have – You have an actor who had also played Machiste, Mark Forrest, take on the role in 1960s Revenge of Hercules, and this was an Italian film. And after that, more and more Herc movies get made, including, oh, this one is attractive given all that we've talked about, 1964's Hercules, Samson, um, Machiste, and Ursus, the Invincibles. So you get like (laughs) four different strongmen all teaming up uh, to battle evil in that one, and this was 64. It was the Expendables
0: of 1964. Yeah.
1: And, of course, uh, from then on, we have various actors. Uh, generally, like very very often, uh, bodybuilders turned actors playing the role. Alan Steele, Steve Reeves, uh, I've already mentioned Mark Forrest, uh, and various others. You know, uh, Brian Thompson would go on, to, would, would play him at least once. This is, of course, the big muscular dude who uh, was one of the punks in Terminator and uh, uh, also played uh. Shao Kahn. In the second Mortal Kombat movie. Um, <laughs> oh, that get, one was good. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, uh, you get Kevin Sorbo, of course, playing him on screen. You get The Rock taking a shot at it. And also, it should be, should be noted, Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Oh, yeah. So this was an interesting coincidence we were pointing out. So in, in this movie, Hercules is played by Lou Ferrigno. And I'm right in saying this is his first movie. This was Lou Ferrigno's first feature film.
1: I believe so, yes. He had, of course, he had done Hulk already, so he'd done Hulk and various okay. TV appearances, but this was this was the rocket that was going to propel Lou Ferrigno uh, into the cinematic stratosphere.
0: And also, Arnold Schwarzenegger's first screen role was playing Hercules in a 1970 movie called Hercules in New York, which I have seen, but I remember almost nothing about except that it was almost unwatchably boring. Did it have Robert England
1: in it? Am I remembering that correctly? What? Uh, is Robert England in that?
0: If so, I've forgotten about that. I watched this in college and I, okay. I remember it being like hard to hear what anybody was saying in it. Mm. But yeah, but oh, but the, the premise is Arnold Schwarzenegger is a muscle guy and he's Hercules and the gods send him down to New York for some reason. So he's just running around in modern New York. Fish out of water, fish out of time. Ah, shenanigans ensue, I'm sure. Yeah.
1: All right, well, shall we go ahead and hear the trailer for Hercules 1983? Hit it.
0: From the depths of space comes the strongest man on Earth in the super-adventure odyssey. Hercules. The incredible Lou Ferrigno is Hercules. Hercules. In a battle with unearthly creatures, Hercules, the superhuman hero with the strength of an army, Hercules facing love, and the bewitching forces of evil. The incredible Lou Ferrigno is Hercules, a Golan Globus production from the Canon Group.
1: This is a pretty good trailer, I have to admit.
0: I don't think I actually watched it, so I, I don't know what you just heard. Well, take my word for it this one this one is Zeus approved.: Well I'd, if it's the Zeus in this movie, I don't know if it's <laughs> going to be that hard to get approved because this is a kind of a kind of groovy hands-off Zeus who who may be about to take a nap. <laughs> yeah yeah this is a, this is a snoozer of a Zeus
1: All right. Let's start at the top with this one. Uh, the writer-director on this one is Luigi Cozzi, uh, writer and director, born 1947, still making films today. Uh, Italian director, probably best known for this film and also its sequel, uh, as well as his uh, frequent work with Dario Argento. I did not know this movie had a
0: sequel. Is Luferigno also in it?
1: Yes. Uh, And I was reading like mixed accounts on whether he was like sort of tricked into doing a sequel. Like they were filming (laughs) stuff for another film and they're like, let's make it a sequel. I'm not sure.
0: I could imagine them just repurposing his shots from this movie and and making a sequel around them because – a lot of the scenes with Lou in this movie primarily feature Lou doing reaction shots rather than Mm -hmm. talking. Uh, so you, so it's another character talking and then him just making a blank face into the camera. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm, I'm saying you could use that with pretty much anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He looks at something, he reacts, he runs down a, a tunnel and then he lifts something. Um, now, uh, Let's talk a little bit more about Cozy here. His uh, first film was a 1969 low budget adaptation of Frederick Pohl's novella, The Tunnel Under the World, which apparently got Dario Argento's attention. And he subsequently worked with Argento on 1971's Four Flies on Gray Velvet, earning a story credit. He also has a story credit on Argento's 1973 action comedy, The Five Days. He goes on to direct his own uh, Jalo film with uh, 1975's The Killer Must Kill Again. Uh, (laughs) But then from there, he really goes on to cement his place in uh, cinematic history, uh, writing and directing such epic Italian B-movies as, of course, this, uh, but also 1979's Star Crash and 1980's Contamination.
0: Oh, I did not make the connection to Star Crash, but that Mm -hmm. makes so much sense. This movie has extremely powerful star crash flavor just waves of star crash aroma wafting off of it even in the scenes where they talk about rays i was repeatedly reminded of star crash uh you know th- there were at least like five dialogue moments that were that were uh, akin to uh you know nothing can stop these deadly rays these deadly rays will be your death <laughs> yeah there's a lot of shared dna between this film and star
1: crash um uh, now, uh, Coatsy also worked in various other roles on other Argento projects. So you just he seems to be a frequent collaborator and helper uh, mm-hmm. to Argento. Uh but he was also second assistant director on the notorious Klaus Kinski Nosferatu sequel. So this is the the sort of unofficial sequel to Werner Herzog's Nosferatu movie titled oh. Vampire in Venice. This is the one where basically Kinsky reportedly like showed up. He was supposed to have had his head shaved. To play Nosferatu. And he says basically, No, I'm not shaving my head. And also, uh, I am directing this film now. (laughs) So uh, I've never seen it, but it has something of a reputation. Well, I bet that would
0: have an aroma all of its own, a somewhat different one. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, The star of this film is, of course, as we've mentioned, Lou Ferrigno, born 1957, former professional bodybuilder um, uh, and uh, pumping iron contemporary of Arnold Schwarzenegger, seen here at what feels like just peak condition and just peak mass.
0: He is voluminous in this movie he he is just uh he is just an absolute skyscraper of meat yes uh yeah they're and
1: like I say, they do a lot of showing off of his physique and and you know you hear jokes about people skipping leg day uh Perigno did not <laughs> skip leg day; he has just legs like just muscular tree trunks.
0: I feel like this movie has a lot of scenes of. Like close-ups of those, uh, you know, when the – I guess somebody's got big muscles and low body fat and their veins are just poking out through the skin Mm -hmm. while they're flexing. There's a lot of that. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Now, Ferrigno, again is probably best known to many as the original green-skinned Hulk from TV's *The Incredible Hulk*, which began as a two-hour pilot in 1977 and ran five seasons, 80 episodes, till 1982, and was then followed by three TV films, uh, one of which featured Thor, and another one had uh, the character Kingpin in it, played by uh, John rhys Davies. Um, anyway, Farigno played the Hulk in all of, all of those as well. Uh, he ultimately didn't achieve the same level of fame as Arnold. Uh, but he, he still played Hercules in this film and its sequel, and he also played Sinbad in Enzo <laughs> G. Castellari's 1989 Sinbad of the Seven Seas. So uh, there we get. We get a double dipping of the mythic there.
0: Oh, wow. I, I've never seen that one. And that's funny because I, I have a deep appreciation for the, uh, for the in many ways, quite bad, but in other ways, wonderful uh, uh Ray Harryhausen Sinbad movies, which have some great stop-motion monsters in them. I I did not know that Ferrigno was in any later Sinbad adaptations. Yeah, definitely
1: a later Sinbad, not the the classic Harryhausen. I can only imagine, but it
0: seems like it'd probably be bad.
1: (laughs) Now, every every hero needs a villain, and so we have one in this film. Uh, And if you're going to choose a villain out of the catalog of... um, Of Greek mythology. Uh, I feel like this is a good choice. Uh, They
0: decided to go with King Minos. Oh, yes. And he makes a a wonderful villain in this movie, though mostly what he does is apparently stand around on the moon talking about which robots will next be sent to kill Hercules.
1: Yes. And explaining the plot a little, explaining his plans. And sometimes just... uh, <laughs> just asking that the uh, uh, the evil robots that are going to be sent down be made bigger, just so he can look at them. Oh uh, yeah, can
0: you make it a little bit bigger? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's more of a he's a bit more of a project uh, you know, manager in, in many ways. But um, uh-huh. anyway, fun villain played by the actor William Berger, who lived uh, 1928 through 1993, Austrian American actor who pops up in a lot of spaghetti westerns uh, and just plays a lot of villains in general in Euro cinema. Um, he uh, he appears in the films of such directors as Jess Franco, Enzo G. Castellari, Mario Bava, Lamberto Bava, and uh, and also Ron O'Neal. Uh, so he's yeah great in this as the evil King Minos. He has one of these um, uh, uh, you know mustacheless beards uh, that looks particularly evil on his his face
0: for some reason. Mm-hmm. It could, in another context, look rather Mennonite, but no in his context it does look like a beard of of ill intent yes
1: all right and then playing the daughter of king minos we have the character we have the character uh adriana played by sybil danning who uh is another austrian american actor of note born 1952 uh she was an actor and model best known for a whole string of b movies in the 70s and 80s uh some of her probably most famous roles include roger in roger corman's battle beyond the stars from 1980 she's also in howling Two: your sister is a werewolf from <laughs> 1985 uh but but she she appears like randomly in just films you wouldn't expect her to like she's pops up in the musketeer films from the 70s the ones that uh, you know had like uh,
0: michael york and oliver reed and christopher lee in them So she's a villain in this. Mostly she she sort of walks around scheming and and whispering uh, in in people's ears to get them to do bad things. I I don't know if this is true. I read that in an earlier version of the script – she was maybe going to be Hercules's love interest, but uh, like that she and Lou Ferrigno did not get along, and the script was rewritten so that she was a villain. Did you read that?
1: I didn't read that. I had read that um, an early version of the script was was more provocative, and that Lou Ferrigno uh, especially was like, "Nope, I'm not filming this. It needs to be uh, cleaner." And so they made <laughs> what is it essentially a G-rated film. Like one of the reasons I ended up putting this well. on was that uh, it was a you know it was a long weekend there was uh you know some uh, some snowy weather and i was like i need something that i can play with the family moving around the house and this looked like a a, a good selection
0: yeah i mean i think it was rated pg it's in some areas i think they're pushing it <laughs> <laughs> well but, in some areas they're really
1: pushing these outfits uh yeah so they're, but, they're, uh, these outfits are pushed to the limits uh by the various uh, male and female uh, ca- uh actors wearing them
0: yes Like, at one point, it seems like they went out of their way to put – like, when Lou Ferrigno is first birthed out of the cosmos and they show him floating in space in his ideal form, it looks like they went out of their way to match the color of his Speedo to his skin tone so that it was exactly (laughs) the same. Yeah.
1: I I have to say another thing about Lou Ferrigno in this is that he pretty much has the physique – of one of the old masters of the universe, He-Man uh, toys. Mm-hmm. So uh, I remember catching parts of this on like TBS or TNT back when I was a kid, and this just felt natural because I'm like, well, yes, that that is that there it is. That is the, the the body of a He-Man action figure. I have a whole bunch of these in a in a box, so it it it, it makes sense <laughs>
0: that this is our hero. But wait, I, I have a I have a note about Sybil Danning's character. Okay, okay, so this character's name is all over the place. When, when I watched the movie, I watched it on HBO Max. And yep. so the character that Sybil Danning is playing, and this corresponds to the actual mythology, is Ariadne or Ariadna. Mm-hmm. That's usually spelled A-R-I-A-D-N-E. Then in the movie, it seemed like the characters were saying her name out loud as Ariana, like it would be A-R-I-N-A, and then in the uh in the subtitles and some text for promoting the movie her name is Adriana or A D R I A N A so we were, there's like three different versions of what her name is and the movie itself doesn't seem to agree i don't know maybe that's nitpicking but <laughs> <laughs> well not not the first or last time we've
1: encountered um uh, you know pronunciations being all over the the place for a character
0: well and spellings but mm-hmm. never mind
1: all right. Uh, let's move on to some of the supporting characters here. Um, we have, uh, of course, the, the, the god Zeus pops up frequently in this, played in this film by Claudio Casanelli, uh, who lived 1938 through 1985. You might remember him from our discussion of the post-apocalyptic film Hands of Steel. He is the uh, actor who played one of the villains in that film that died in a tragic helicopter uh, crash during the filming of Hands of Steel. Now he was a frequent um he was a free, frequently popped up in in various Italian uh, films often playing uh, I think kind of kind of villains here and there. Um now when you cast an actor as Zeus, I mean that's a, that's a big acting ask. I mean t- to my mind I instantly think of of Laurence Olivier playing Zeus in Clash of the Titans which came out a few years before this and I think mm-hmm. definitely um influenced uh this film in some ways that we'll discuss i think of uh liam neeson's playing uh, zeus <laughs> in the remakes of the clash of the titans films you know so there's a there's a grandiose presence that needs to be there to be zeus and you think about like who zeus is in the myth like he's a powerful and dangerous figure like you don't want to get on the the, the bad side of zeus uh The Zeus in this film is a different experience.
0: Yes, yes, totally. You want that combination of like authoritative and irresponsible. Yeah. Somebody who is simultaneously like when he talks, everybody turns and listens and people are afraid of him. But also he's unpredictable, undependable, and dangerous. Right. In this, he's more a little sleepy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, but also the actor who plays him – I, once I noticed this, I couldn't unsee it, and he just looked like him in every single shot. He looks like John Stewart, yeah, of, Stu- of the Daily Show. He looks like John Stewart in a Santa Claus wig and beard. Yes, and he—I didn't—I didn't put this together till you—you you
1: mentioned it. You sent me this picture, and I'm like, oh my god, he does, and he looks like he's doing that sort of John Stewart um, sort of shock confusion face that he often pulls right. in bits. So yes. it totally looks like
0: a, a, a John Stewart bit. It looks like it, – it's like John Stewart playing a satirical take on Zeus, a so befuddled Zeus. Right.
1: Um, let's see. Who else do we have in this? Oh, we have um, we have King Aegeus, uh, played by Brad Harris. Uh, Harris lived 33 through 2017. American bodybuilder turned actor, uh, turned European acting mainstay. Uh, he played a lot of strong men in his career, including Goliath and Samson. So this feel, kind of feels like uh, – like a like a wink to the muscle man um, uh, cinema fans of the day.
0: Mm. Mm, okay.
1: Uh, then we have um, an Israeli actor by the name of uh, Yehuda Efroni, who plays the character Dorcon, who is, uh, I believe, the um, uh, the advisor to, uh, the, to to this king. Uh, he's an Israeli actor again who play, appeared in uh, 1989's Phantom of the Opera, starring Robert England. This is the Robert, the, the the Nightmare on Elm Street-inspired Phantom of the Opera film. Uh, he pops up in The Delta Force, American Ninja 3, uh, and uh, in the film The Omega Code. Oh, The Omega Code.
0: Uh, that's mm-hmm. a, a Christian apocalypse movie, one of my favorite genres. <laughs> yeah, starring uh, Michael York, I think, was the villain in that, right? He was. He plays the Antichrist. Uh, and I th- it also has Michael Ironside as a henchman of the Antichrist. <sighs> And uh, Casper Van Dien as like a self-help author who, uh, in the end, uh, he gets converted and and becomes a good guy. Uh, Let's see. Who else is in it? I I think those are all the main actors. Oh, Catherine Oxenberg is in it. Mm. She was in like Lair of the White Worm and stuff.
1: All right. Um, Now we have uh, the character Cassiopeia uh, is essentially the damsel in distress in this film. And uh, she is played by Ingrid Anderson, born 1960, American actor making her film debut here. She mostly did television after this. Another important female character in this is um, is Cersei. Uh, Cersei is, of course, the the the, the witch, the the sorceress. Uh, and in this, she is played by Mirella D'Angelo, born 1956, Italian actor whose credits also
0: include Caligula and Tenebrae. Oh, she, she she's actually pretty great in this, especially because. When we first meet her, she's in like um she's in crone form. Yeah. And then she drinks Hercules's blood. Am I right about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She like cuts him and drinks his blood so she can re like regain her youth and and strength and magic powers. Uh and then there's like a long middle section of the movie where it's just like Cersei bossing Hercules around and it's great he's yes. just following her around doing everything she tells him to do she's like oh, I need you to reach inside this glowing egg and he's like okay oh it burned my hand and she's like you must reach <laughs> and he's like no no it's freezing my hand <laughs> it's,
1: it's a great sequence
0: oh yeah uh, your hand's in there again <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so Cer- Cer- Cersei's great in this and is definitely one of the many characters who's who's again wearing their outfit to the absolute limit.
0: Oh, my God. Did
1: the tassels on her outfit are hilarious. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, another carry. So, we mentioned uh, King Minos. Now, we have Minos and we have Minos's daughter. Uh, and yet, we have no uh, maze or labyrinth in this film and we have no Minotaur. So, d- don't get excited about the prospect of either of those standard um, uh, 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 features of a King Minos story popping up. But we do have the character who is of course credited uh, in in the in the various myths as creating the labyrinth and uh, creating various other works of, um, of, of of artistry and technical craftsmanship in uh, in the mythological canon and that is the character Daedalus
0: now in this movie, Daedalus is not a human craftsman. She is, like, a figure who is birthed out of the chaos of the universe and then, uh, mm-hmm. like, takes form and wears this strange costume that has these big ears uh, and and talks about how she hates magic and hates the gods and only loves science. Right, yes, and they're plotting, they're basically plotting the destruction of the
1: gods via science. They're talking about how much better than, than the gods science is. Uh it's it's pretty fabulous. This is where the robots come into play. They yes. are
0: the the uh, the automatons of Daedalus here. Yeah, she makes the robots that Minos uh, greedily begs her to send against Hercules. Yes.
1: So, in, in this film, Daedalus is played by Eva Robbins, a transgender Italian actress, model, and activist who appeared in Dario Argento's Tenebrae as Woman on the Beach. She played the famed in, inventor of Greek mythology in both of the Coatsy Hercules movies, so she does pop up in the sequel. Ooh. And uh, I should mention, dressed in an just absolutely bonkers costume here that feels like part comic book villain from space and also part Christmas tree ornament.
0: Yeah, I was trying to – her helmet yes. is I, – I don't know how to dis- – it's it's a little bit Planet of the Vampires, mm-hmm. uh, but spray-painted gold, and then with these big ears popping off of it. It reminded me a little bit of some of the, the like, uh, diamond-shaped ear ornaments popping off of – I think I remember from the, the acrobats in the Star Wars holiday special yes. that pop up in the hologram. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's a fair comparison. Uh, Robbins continued to act in European indie films after this, uh, sometimes appearing alongside such uh, actors as uh, Charlotte Rampling. So um, mm. so she apparently wanted to have quite an interesting career.
0: Well, I, I loved every one of her scenes in this movie. The the, the Minos Daedalus scenes are, are highlights of the film. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, uh, now this is a, a character who sadly doesn't really
1: do much Uh, but we have this character show up at one point to challenge Hercules uh, by the name of uh, King Zinodama. Uh, And and this character is played by Big Bobby Rhodes, uh, born 1947. From Demons. Yes, a black Italian actor who pops up in a number of Italian action and B-movies. Probably best known, yeah, for playing Tony the Pimp and Hank the Gym Instructor in Lamberto Bava's uh, Demons and Demons 2. But he can also be found in The Island of the Fishmen, a.k.a. Screamers. Uh, he was in Sergio Martino's The Great Alligator, which features a story credit by George Eastman. And he also did stunts. He's credited with underwater stunts on the 1989 underwater monster movie Leviathan. So he's great, but he's kind of wasted in this film
0: oh well yeah he's he plays a small role he plays like the uh, a- ki- the king who uh he what is it he um Hercules and Circe need something from him and in order to get it uh Hercules has to uh has to like grow huge and then like push apart the the uh the strait of gibraltar the the pillars mm-hmm. of hercules
1: yeah, and basically um Bobby Rhodes' character just watches on from a litter. And it doesn't really do anything but just act amazed at this. I thought they were going to fight or something. I was getting
0: excited. Well, the litter that he's being carried in, though, is a mammoth skeleton. That was pretty cool. that's (laughs) right. So he's like within the ribs of a mammoth.
1: Um, The mammoth skeleton made me think of Meow Wolf in Santa Fe. And I have to say that several of the sets in this movie just feel like Meow Wolf. Like I'm just straight up back in Meow Wolf, except there are uh, various Greek gods standing around. All right, one more uh, credit on this before we move on to the plot. Uh, and that is, of course, coming back to the music here. The music is by Pino Donaggio, born 1941. Uh, the music here is rather traditional for the most part. Uh, but Pino is a rather big name noted for working with uh, such uh, directors as uh, Joe Dante, uh, Lucio Fulci. Uh, Terrence Hill, Charles Band, uh, and probably most famously, Brian De Palma. He worked with De Palma on eight different films. Uh, Carrie, Home Movies, Dress to Kill, Blowout, Body Double, Raising Cane, Snake Eyes, Passion, and Domino.
0: Wow. I honestly got to say, I don't remember much about the music in the movie. It didn't, It didn't really strike me one way or another
1: i mean it's it's one of those scores that i feel like it it did the job it it did exactly what it needed to do it doesn't stand out it certainly doesn't doesn't overshadow uh, anything going on with uh, the muscles on the screen Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's in a perfect supporting role
0: all right well let's dive into the plot of this baby all right. Well, I think this is one where we're not going to do the whole story beat by beat, but uh, focus on some sections that were interesting to us. And I, I do want to start right at the beginning because I love the way this movie begins. I love mm-hmm. a movie that where the prologue goes all the way back to the beginning of the universe, or actually, <laughs> in this case, before the beginning of the universe, mm-hmm. uh, because it starts off just by showing you slow motion fireworks exploding. And then it says, in the beginning, before creation, there was darkness. Uh, And then we learn that uh, from the primordial explosion emerged the fire of chaos. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the chaos merged with the darkness. And from this union were born the elements. Rob, do you have a notepad ready to record what the elements are? Okay, let's go. There's four of them. Okay, (laughs) the elements are night, day, Matter and air. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I like that when it's telling us this. So the you know the chaos merged with the darkness. There is like a, uh, it's just this long series of sort of cause vaguely cosmic looking special effects shots, and this one is something that's on fire, bathed in red light, moving toward the camera.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're we're in just total cosmic mode for for several minutes here. There are no yeah. humans. There's just space stuff going on.
0: Right. Okay. So, so we got the four elements, night, day, matter, and air. And then uh, after this, we find out that out of the misty radiance of the cosmos, there came forth a jar, golden and glittering, Pandora's jar. But then it shows us the jar and it looks like a spaceship. It's got different, like Mm -hmm. multicolored windows yeah,
1: it's pretty fa- like it's as it's as close to looking like a spaceship as it could be without just blatantly being a space. Like they, I think, like they they manage it rather nicely. Like they're uh, you know they're they're not they're not going too far with the sci-fi, but they're going right up to the line.
0: Uh huh. We we find out it is filled with the essences, both good and evil, of life itself, and then we see the jar explode. It's clearly this is one of the parts I talked about where like the, it. They kind of don't even care with the special effects. where mm-hmm. So it explodes, and then you just see a couple of parts of it don't fly off and fall fall down. They're like hanging from threads.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but then we learn that from the fragments of the jar – remember, this was the jar – Pandora's jar that contained all of the essence of life, both good and evil. And from the fragments of that jar, it says that the planets and the solar system were formed – uh, and then you see the jar fragments zooming through space like like the fighter ships on, uh, on Battlestar Galactica. And uh, so it, it starts explaining planets to us. It's like, here are some of the planets. Uh, it tells us about Saturn, the world of mystic rings. And then it says, other fragments became the flaming energies that gave shape to Mercury. Yet another fragment gave birth to the Colossus, Jupiter, the Titan of the skies. <laughs> Any Greek mythology nerds want to pick a bone with that one? (laughs) I'll leave it there. But then it goes on. So so we're getting closer to Earth. It says the worlds of the universe were created along with the moons that accompanied them and then Earth. And then it says, and on Earth there was life everywhere. And then we get like a zoom in shot to what looks like a a satellite photo of one of the shores of Michigan or something. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, finally, okay, was, we, we, need, we need some some beings to populate these worlds, right? So it says that the first beings that the creation brought forth were not men. They were of the supreme essence and became gods. They claimed the moon as their <laughs> home. So in this version of Greek mythology, the gods were the first creation, not, not the Titans. So that it doesn't do the multiple generations. Uh, they were the first creation and they live on the moon.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's no Mount Olympus. It's the moon instead. Uh, instead of this this planet that's filled with life, they're going to live on this just
0: desolate moonscape. And what do the gods do there on the moon? Uh, well, there are only three of them. There's <laughs> Zeus, Hera, and Athena. And, and they sit there on the moon, and it says they decide the ultimate fate of mankind and of all that lived. <laughs> yeah, they're simplifying the pantheon somewhat here. Right, and so the thing about the gods in this movie is that they are severely on drugs. When when we get zoom ins of all three of the gods, I would say especially Hera and Athena, but all three of them really seem to be in a, a kind of potent pharmaceutical realm. Like their pupils are a mile wide. Right,
1: and they're yeah, they're they're they don't have a lot of emotion in what they're saying and what they're doing. They don't really have the. Uh, you know the 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 characterizations that you're you're more com- you're more accustomed to with say um,
0: um uh zeus and then uh, and then also athena are just not going to be found here I, I would say the one that actually feels the most out of character of all three of them is athena athena i feel like should be a a, a sharp and powerful presence. She is. Mm-hmm. She, she, you know, there, there's so much that Athena is. Athena is wisdom. Athena is warfare. Athena is all these things. In this movie, she is zonked. She's yeah. just kind of airily delivering lines as if uh, I'm not even sure if she's aware whether anybody is listening or not.
1: And really, these whole sequences kind of feel like uh, sportscaster sequences, like, let's go back and hear the commentary. (laughs) And Uh uh, and here they are just sort of very very detached, talking about a a game happening, uh, you know, somewhere else across the city.
0: That's right. So they're in this, they're in this set that has these weird pillars coming up off the surface of the moon. Mm -hmm. And then Zeus says, okay, Pandora's jar has been broken. The forces of evil have been let loose. The world of mortal men is facing its hour of decision. It will go down to destruction or else it will survive. And then Hera says, uh, of course, Hera is always making kind of a nasty face. I mean, Hera is often the villain of, of these stories. Certainly she's the enemy of Hercules. Uh, that, that is true to the myth, I think. But Hera says, this is their moment of trial. They have to show themselves worthy of everything we gods have given them. But it, it hasn't made clear that they've given them anything. <laughs> uh, but anyway, here is so finally, Athena comments. She's like, but evil is dark and strong. It may be that the scales of fate are not equally balanced. Uh, so – Zeus takes all this into consideration, and he decides that there needs to be a way to equalize both sides of the struggle. It's not entirely – I think this means the sides of the struggle are on one side, it's humans, and on the other side, it's the destruction of humans. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's like, okay, we need to make this fair. So he asks Athena, like, how can we make it fair? How can we do it? Yeah, and Zeus, again, known for his fairness. (laughs) <laughs> right. Uh and so Athena has an amazing idea. She says, if you don't want to increase the powers of all men, why don't you increase those of one so that he may fight for all the others?
1: <laughs> what a weird capitalist approach to um yeah. <laughs> to uh, orchestrating
0: the affairs of men. Uh but Zeus his reaction is he's clearly enthralled by this idea. It's like uh if you ever seen when somebody mention you know somebody's really hungry and then somebody else suggests a delicious food they could eat and mm-hmm. their their eyes sort of like go off somewhere like they're just imagining it that's the way Zeus reacts he's really grooving with it he goes a man who is stronger and more intelligent than all other men just gazing at, like at his lap mhm uh, so anyway, they decide, yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll get a hero, and they say it'll be a hero with the body forged in the furnace of a thousand suns, a body capable of undergoing every labor, every pain, practically invincible, made from the purest of all energies, light.
1: I like how he kind of totally spaces on the idea of the superior intellect and just focuses on the body. Right. uh, Which which is, again, what you want in a Hercules movie.
0: Right. So they start off as saying that this will be a man who is stronger and more intelligent than all other men. This is not a comment about about Lou Ferrigno. This is like in the script, there's really not much to indicate that this Hercules is is even of average intelligence. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, that's
1: that's just part of it. I mean, yeah, Hercules in the myths, you do have more of a like there's the cunning of Hercules, oh, yeah. uh, but we don't really see the cunning of Hercules in this film. It is the brute strength of, of Hercules. And when cunning uh, things need to be done. Well, that's where Circe uh, or, or some other character is going to apply some uh, some some cunning thought.
0: Like multiple of the labors of Hercules involve not brute strength, but him coming up with like an outside the box solution to a problem. Ah, uh, no, you know, he does come up, he does, they do
1: actually reflect one of the, the cunning moments of Hercules in this. Uh, but that's true. The cleaning of the stables, yeah, 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 the Aegean stables, uh, which of course is this, this whole sequence in the it's it's. It's fascinating because I was I I watched the film and I had to to quiz uh, my my wife and son. I said, "You guys know the the the, uh, the 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 trials of Hercules. Guess which one they did in this film." And I think I, I quizzed you the same way. Like, which yeah. is the ultimately the uh, the last one you would choose for uh, for for a cinematic portrayal? You know, it doesn't feature a monster. It just features the cleaning of some just. Awful um, poop-filled stables. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that they choose. Though it's a great sequence as well because the the stable, like everything in this film, the stables look like they are on another planet. Like every location in this film feels like a different cosmic location. Uh, the, the stables look like horses, like these twin horses, and uh-huh. uh, and and he diverts a whole river to flood it. It's a it's it's a great scene.
0: It it is yeah. But but that comes much later. We're still at the, yes. the phase here where they're. Uh, they're talking about sending this being made of light to earth and then it shows him. So it like fades in on Hercules wearing a speedo posing, flexing his muscles amidst the stars. Yes. Uh, greased and, uh, and, and lit from above. And I guess the problem is they can't send him to earth like this. You're, I don't know why they can't, but they just can't, you know, you know well, he can't arrive at earth as an adult being made of light. Instead, I think the deal is they have to slot his, his, herc soul which is made of light into the body of a mortal baby But then that makes me wonder wait what happened to the baby's original soul i
1: mean maybe there was no original soul like this one was
0: already slotted for
1: this baby right they
0: like they 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 uh birthed a soulless baby in preparation for inserting the hercules soul the muscle soul made of light from the stars into the baby yeah yeah okay well, anyway, Lou Ferrigno, he goes down. He possesses a baby. Uh, this baby is uh, – th- this part, I think, is sort of according to the myth. This is the child of uh, Amphitryon Alchmini, and Alcmene, uh, and uh, this is at the city of Thebes. Uh, it tells us this is the city of Thebes in the Bronze Age, 4,000 years from this moment. <laughs> but then I'm like, wait, is Thebes also on the moon? Because they show Thebes, yeah. and it looks like it's in space. It's this stone city with these big walls. I mean, it looks kind of like a – I don't know, cross between a medieval castle and and, and like Chattel Hoyek, but it's in space with like comets zipping around.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like that with, with every location, isn't it? Like later on, we go to Atlantis and uh, it's like green. It looks like another planet. And then I was asking myself, is this supposed to be another planet? And then they show the sky and it has like three moons or something. You
0: know? uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And they're also they're traveling through space at various times to get from one location to the other. Um, so, very cosmic, without characters actually coming out and in, in, in referring to these as
0: different planetary uh, locations. Yeah. I did not know what to make of that. But, you know <laughs> what? It, I enjoyed looking at it, so, okay. Uh, but immediately Hera is trying to kill this baby because, you know, that's what Hera does. She doesn't like mm-hmm. Hercules and she wants to destroy him. So, she sets events in motion – to, uh, to lead to the death of baby Hercules, uh, and then we get an escape in infancy narrative, you know, like the – I mean, I guess this is there in some of the original Hercules myths, uh, but it's also like, you know, the stories of Moses or Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew where like there's, uh, there, there's a, a chosen baby and then like the forces are aligned against him and he has to be secreted away. Mm-hmm. So in this case, in Thebes, there's like there's a usurper king who comes in uh, and he kills Hercules, parents, and he's trying to kill Hercules. He's being urged on by one of the recurring villains of the movie played by Sybil Danning, who is the she plays the, the daughter of the wicked king Minos of Thera, who we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, but so there's, like, a rebellion against the king's forces, and it's a, the, the narrator comes in, I think it says, like, and the wicked rebels turned Thebes into a war zone, and it just shows, you know, fire and a bunch of people going, ah! <laughs> Meanwhile, I should also say, like, when we see the soldiers and stuff in these scenes, it is just mm-hmm. a feast of weird, fake gold armor and cod pieces. Yep. <laughs> Oh, uh, and there's also a thing uh, – this actually turns out to be important later. I mean, we're not going to try to explain every in and out of the plot, but there is an important theft at the beginning where like a, a thief sneaks into a temple and steals a sacred sword, this yep. kind of sword in the stone. He pulls it out of its resting place. He kills a couple of guards and with some hilarious bow and arrow action. Right. And then that – yeah, that
1: sword is basically never mentioned – again for the rest of the film till we get to the very end and then it becomes extremely important <laughs> and is reestablished
0: yeah. yeah uh and so little hercules gets uh taken away by a nursemaid to protect him from from the evil rebels And she puts him on a river – puts him on a boat and sets it down a river. And then uh, Hera tries to kill him multiple ways. I think at one point he's going over a waterfall. But then Mm -hmm. Zeus in in this hilarious special effect reaches out and catches the boat from the waterfall. And you see this giant pale hand reaching out from the water that gets the boat and then pulls him to the moon where he's like this tiny little thing in his hand and it shows Zeus looking at the boat. He's like, oh, and then he puts him back in the river. Hera's like, you can't do that. That's cheating. You have to put him back in the river. And then he does, but he puts him downstream of the waterfall. And Mm -hmm. he's like, you didn't tell me which part of the river to put him in. (laughs) (laughs) Snaky Zeus. Uh, But then also Hera tries to send a couple of snakes to kill Hercules and baby Herc just strangles him.
1: Oh yeah, it's a great sequence because they're super fake monster snakes, uh, and uh, and this this baby is not a good actor. It's just not very convincing at all. <laughs> so it makes for a hilarious sequence.
0: Uh, one thing I wanted to know. So of course Hercules gets uh, uh, rescued by by a nice old couple, and they take him in and raise him. And uh, you know they're very sweet. They're sweet pastoralists, and uh, and we get a montage of him growing up and growing stronger. And how do you think? So, uh, Conan the Barbarian came out in 1982. This movie came out in 1983. How do you think they're going to show young Hercules growing and getting stronger? Oh, you got to strap him to that millstone. That's right. So they they have a montage of him turning a millstone. The the really Shameless. fun thing <laughs> the fun thing about this though,
1: I was reading, is that there is a millstone scene. I think in the first Machiste movie. So. <gasps> I believe John Milius was, may have actually been referencing uh, the history of Muscle Man movies uh, by including
0: that uh, in Conan the Barbarian. Well, that would make sense. Okay, I'm back on board now. <laughs> every every movie should have it then. It's just they're all calling back to the original.
1: How else are you getting to know that he's strong and that time is, is passing? Like, this is the logical way to do it.
0: Uh, one of the so once he grows up, he is, of course, Lou Ferrigno. Then, and we get to see him being very strong, you know, chopping wood, pulling trees up out of the ground with his arms. And uh, one of the, the great scenes once he's finally an adult is the bear scene. Rob, mm. do you could you describe the bear scene? So, it is
1: a, your basic bear wrestling scene, and I think it possibly reuses some bear footage from a, another movie, I forget which uh. one. Uh, but, you know, it's Hercules versus a bear. You know who's going to win. It's going to be Hercules. Um, but, but what, what do you expect to happen when Hercules defeats the bear? You think he might just, you know, either he whips the bear and says, all right, go back to the wild, you, or, you know, or puts a sleeper hold on it and just, you know, just puts it to sleep and walks off. No, that's not good enough. That's not epic enough for this Hercules.
0: Well, first of all, also, so it, yeah, it intercuts between stock footage of a real bear and then one of the worst bear suits I've ever seen <laughs> on a, in in film, like unbelievable. It's it's worse than the uh, than the Wicker Man remake bear suit. <laughs> I
1: I didn't even notice that. I mean, I I don't know. I didn't think too long and hard about it being okay. a, a fake. Well, bear. I
0: mean, it's it's a guy wearing a bunch of uh, uh, carpet samples, basically. <laughs> And but he but he so he defeats the bear. Oh, and the bear uh kills his kills his father, the the man who raised him. Yeah. Uh so he kills that guy, that guy's laying dead on the ground, and Hercules is like, Oh, you bear and then he grabs him and he throws him into space. (laughs) <laughs>
1: yes, it's a great sequence because it is just as goofy as it sounds.
0: But oh, but of course, uh of course the bear thrown into space by Hercules, you know, here here's your mythic connection, thrown up into space by Hercules and becomes the constellation Ursa, the you know, the bear in the sky. Mhm. The first of many uh constellations, right? Right, right. Well, yeah, actually, because so after this uh, Athena and Hera like taunt each other, Athena's like, ha ha, all your heroes are going. I guess this means Hera sent the bear. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's like, all your heroes are going to end up getting thrown into space. (laughs) Hera's like, don't worry, I have many other people waiting to fight for evil. Uh, And here's, oh, here's the part where we get into one of my favorite things in the movie. My favorite recurring characters, Minos and Daedalus. Yes. Uh, Now – I can't remember what we already said about where Minos is, where they are in this scene. I don't know how to even b- begin to describe where they are, or what is happening, but it looks like they are Minos is like in space in in a on I don't know, on the moon or on some other planet mm-hmm. standing among a bunch of rocks on top of a giant stone head that has a mustache and is glowing from the inside. Yeah,
1: it's it's bonkers. I'd, I have no okay. idea where they're supposed to be.
0: I think they're in space somewhere, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is weird, because we get the impression that he's based on Earth, right? Like, what does right. he do? Why does the he... island of Thera, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if he's come out here uh, to meet Daedalus, like you have to meet Daedalus halfway, or what? I, I really, I don't know. But this is uh, where they meet and scheme.
0: Right, so... Minos calls out Minos is like, Daedalus, embodiment of knowledge, reason, and curiosity, great genius of invention, master of science. I, King Minos of Thera, call on you to step into time and space. That's great. (laughs) Materialize out of chaos. So he tries that, looks around, uh, no Daedalus. So, then he tries again, and he goes, Daedalus! <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, she finally does appear. Mm-hmm. Is she wearing a cellophane cape?
1: Uh, yeah, it does have some, some clear – yeah, it looks
0: cellophane. And then there's, okay. like, this
1: neck guard that is, like, clear plastic. It's, uh, it's a lot, this costume.
0: Well, there's immediately conflict between them because uh, Daedalus is afraid that Minos wants her to serve the gods, but she hates the gods. So Mm -hmm. nothing to do with them. Uh, and she's like, "One day, Minos, you will have to choose between the gods and science." <laughs> and he says, uh, "You know me. I'm dedicated to science. I do not believe <laughs> in the gods, but doing them a little favor can't hurt, can it?" <laughs> and uh, so he, you know, he's going to be working for Hera because she's bad, and this is setting up one of the major themes of the movie, uh, which is truly deeply bizarre uh mm-hmm. it makes no sense whatsoever in the context of this story and it makes no sense <laughs> on its own terms but it's this science versus magic theme uh, i think this is basically a dynamic like we saw in the thing from another world it's like mm-hmm. a jocks versus nerds movie with the jocks representing magic and goodness and the nerds representing science and evil
1: yeah, so it's like it it's seems like in some respects it's a weirdly anti-science movie. It's just like yes. uh like like gods rule, science drools kind of a thing.
0: Well, and it's not an argument over uh like whether science is good or not. It was it, it's like a, yeah, science of course is evil and that is why we support it, because we like evil. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It is interesting how, like, I feel like a, a less imaginative film might have gone with this and been like, okay, we'll have Daedalus be in here and, you know, Daedalus will be just kind of like a mad scientist, you know, a, a well-established right. trope, clearly by this point in cinema, yet they didn't go in that direction at all. Instead, we have this Daedalus uh, agent embodiment of chaos who doesn't even live in our normal space time, uh, kind of appearing to, to Minos- uh, yeah, like an
0: ambassador of uh, of another world. Yeah, very strange. Step into time and space. Uh, but anyway, Daedalus is eventually like, okay, I've already tapped, stepped into time and space. Uh, we can kill That is That is That is doable. Uh, and she says, this is my solution to Hercules. And then she pops up three, like, Erector Set toys. Yeah, these Erector Sets are a good reference. They're these very, uh, very
1: interesting-looking uh, small automatons, Mm-hmm. there's a a dragon looking creature there's a sort of bug looking creature and there's a kind of a centaur looking creature and um they yeah they they're strange looking there's a definite uh a definite direction here in in the way they decided to to portray these i wonder to what extent they were Clearly influenced by Clash of the Titans, which had come out you know years before, uh, that had some you know had a, like the mechanical owl in it. That right, is a, you know, yes, it's a real a real hoot. Uh, certainly one of the (laughs) the fun parts of that film. And they're like, well, we, one mechanical owl, we can have three mechanical villains and maybe it'll simplify the whole stop motion monster thing. Like we're not going to really be able to bring the full Harryhausen game to this film. Uh, Mm -hmm. so
0: maybe we can do something that uh, is a little less fleshy, but also cool to look at. Right. So Minos – oh, but he reacts by being he, – he's like such a small solution to such a big problem. And then he looks sadly directly <laughs> into the camera. <laughs> uh, but Daedalus is like, uh, Minos, my dear, Size, like time and space is relative. Um, and then he's, he realizes – he's like, oh, relative to atmospheric conditions, right? And on hitting Earth's atmosphere, it will grow. Big, huge, immense, terrifying. Is he programmed to destroy Hercules? They talk to these little mechanical toys. They talk about the colossal exterminator that you really are. So they send a giant robot bee to kill Hercules. And then Hercules defeats it by poking it with a stick. Mm -hmm. Uh, To be fair, he pokes it very hard and multiple times. But he does defeat the giant robot by poking it with a stick. Oh, and at this point, uh, well, his father has been killed by a bear. His mother is killed by a giant bee robot during the giant bee robot attack, Mm -hmm. and Hercules is just bereft. So he must strike out on his own to answer the riddle of his life. And there is a great moment where he looks (laughs) off in the distance and says, why am I stronger than other men? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, here, yeah, here he goes on to a series of adventures and labors that will, of course, end with him facing the evil King Minos and his wicked daughter, Sybil Danning, to, to kill science once and for all and save the world. Mm. And along the way, there are all kinds of weird adventures and encounters. I, again, we're not going to hit all the points on there, but, Rob, are there are there any ones that you want to mention in particular? I, I, maybe it would be good to start with the contest of strength in Tyre. What, what do you think?
1: Oh, that's a great sequence because there's um... – like he he wrestles uh, like a dozen men who have a log. Yes, uh, he, he battles like multiple swordsmen. I think, and then he goes up against two chariots with blades on the on the on the like spokes of the wheels. Yeah, and this was a sequence. I remember seeing this on TV for sure. I don't think I'd ever seen this film in its entirety before, but I remember this part uh-huh. uh, because the the chariots make two swipes at him. The first time they come at him. We go to a side view, and he Super Mario jumps over them, <laughs> and and then when they, they come back to get him the second time, he just stands there, and the blades break against the, the just the the brutal beef of his uh, of his legs. Like he's just right. so muscular that blades cannot cut him, and then he like grabs the chariots and pulls uh, back, defeats the uh, you know four horses uh, with his uh, with his awesome strength.
0: Right. The most important thing about a warrior is that he have indestructible shins. That's what we mm-hmm. learn from this. And uh, and of course, Hercules wins the contest. He is the greatest warrior competing in Tyre. And so the – uh, oh, the whole thing is that the winner of this contest is going to be given an important mission. Mm-hmm. So Hercules wins and he finds out what the mission is. And uh, so the king comes up to him and he's like, oh, okay, you won. So your mission is you have to take my beautiful daughter Cassiopeia to Athens and you have to protect her along the way because he explains there is a whole lot of evil and mischief about uh, out on the roads. And this is due to the wicked king Minos out from the Isle of Thera, like monsters are coming from the island. Uh, and, and because of his evil daughter, Sybil Danning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but then I love we get the intervention by the king's scheming advisor, who is this stammering nerd named Dorkon. Yes, yeah, kind of a kind of a Donald um, uh yeah. presence to this guy. Oh yeah, he, he's got a really great objection. So the the king is like, yes, you will escort my beautiful daughter and. Then the advisor is like, "This man is a great warrior, yes, but how can we be sure he isn't part of the evil and mischief you mentioned?" And the king's <laughs> like, "Oh, that's a good point. We can't." <laughs> uh, but so they they decide to test him further, and this is where we get the the famous you know uh, labor of Hercules, the cleaning of the stables, and this the, mm-hmm. it's the stables of Sibylle. Oh, but so if you, if you're not familiar with the myth, Rob, what's the, what's the basic outline of the cleaning of the stables labor? Well,
1: this is this is a clever Herc moment where yeah. you think, oh, well, this is just going to be a whole bunch of uh, shoveling poop for old Hercules. And surely he's up for it, but there's a time constraint here. Even Hercules can't shovel this much poop. Well, uh, what Hercules does instead is he diverts the rivers through the stable and yeah. uh, and clears out all the poop. And this is truly it, – it, this would not have been my first pick for a cinematic portrayal of one of the trials, but uh. it's pretty awesome because, again, the, the stables look otherworldly and weird and they look pretty foul. He diverts a river through it, and it's just you know it's one of those great shots where you have the a miniaturized set but full scale water, so everything looks uh, <laughs> looks a little fake. Uh huh. And yeah, then I love that. T- and then we get the before and after, right? Here's water right. going through these these awful looking stables, and then when the waters are done,
0: everything is just sparkling white. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It looks like a like a locker room or something. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, and of course, along the way, Hercules falls in love with Cassiopeia, as you, you might imagine. He's mm-hmm. like, uh, and he, he gets her to agree. He's like, um, hey, if I get all the poop out of these stables, you're going to agree to marry me. And she's like, well, okay. <laughs> uh, and then he does it, and they kiss, and then Zeus shoots lightning out of his head and makes them fall asleep. Yes. I don't, yes. I don't, <laughs> I don't recall why, if Zeus explained why he did that. I think he just wanted to move the plot along. Right. So he shoots the lightning, the forehead lightning at them. They're knocked out and then they get captured by the bad guys. And at this point, they're split up. Cassiopeia is taken off to the evil island of Thera to be a human sacrifice. And uh, Hercules, uh, oh, they're they're like, oh, we'll take him out to the ocean. I I think it's Sybil Danning who's like, we'll throw Mm -hmm. him in the ocean. He'll be eaten by sharks. But come on, he's Herc. He's fine. He just swims for a week and then gets to shore.
1: Yeah, it doesn't even encounter a shark. For a second there, it feels like, oh, we're going to get Herc versus a shark. No, they mm-hmm. they don't even mess with him.
0: Uh, oh, and here's where we get that series of adventures with Hercules and the sorceress Cersei. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, man, that's a tongue twister. Sorceress Cersei. Uh, but anyway, when we first meet her, she's in like gnarly witch form, but then she regains her, her youth and vitality by drinking some of Herc's blood, which is great. Uh, And then we get all this backstory of how she lost some of her powers because the evil king Minos of Thera took away her magic and uh, she's got to get Herc to help her – I think – I don't like recover some artifacts or something that will give her her power back.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: But uh, there's just one uh, screenshot I pulled out for you to look at, Rob, here because it's just an example of one of the many – side-splittingly unfortunate reaction shots of Lou Ferrigno where some other character's talking, but it's just showing us <laughs> Lou Ferrigno's face. And I'm not sure if anybody was actually talking when they filmed this because he's not reacting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even
1: when he's not reacting, again, there is a certain charisma uh, to, to Ferrigno in this. And it, it does shine through, but not in a way that makes the character feel too confident.
0: Right. No, it's more of a – Farigno in this movie I think is likable but like we said earlier it's in somehow it grows more out of his lack of screen charisma he's just kind of, he's kind of all oh, buddy yeah and it just even though he is
1: created by the gods and has all this power yeah he's up against some really scheming elements here he's up against right. evil kings and and the manipulations of rival gods and beings from outside of space and time and and of course three giant robots um There are going to be two additional robot battles. All of them basically have the same energy of hurt, like, poking things that are not on screen. (laughs) Uh It really makes you uh, value even more just how amazing the work of Ray Harryhausen was. Yes. You know, he could have these amazing models that had this life to them, but also they were able to shoot these sequences in ways where it felt like human beings and monsters were occupying the same space. You never get that illusion (laughs) in this picture.
0: No, the the effects in this movie are not good, but I do think they're fun despite being bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and so there there's more uh, there's more scheming by Minos and, and Daedalus uh, leading up to the next big robot battle. Uh, Daedalus, I think, says like, "Well, we're gonna kill Hercules with my three headed metal uh, metal monster." And Minos is like, uh, oh, another robot, huh? Uh, well, the last one didn't do too great. <laughs> <laughs> but Daedalus is like, this one spits cosmic rays of deadly fire. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, and she says, do you know what that means? Oh, and he's very impressed. He's like, oh, cosmic rays of deadly fire. Well, in that case, great. <laughs> She's like, do you know what that means? And then he, he says, they, they, will be, they will be eliminated, disintegrated, not a trace.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah. Darth Vader says no to disintegrations, but Minos is like, yes, let's yeah. have some disintegrations.
0: Uh, oh, and this is one of the funny parts where Minos is, for some reason, he just wants to see the monster grow just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm paying for it.
1: I want to see the monster grow a little bit before you send it down to Earth. Where naturally, again, we kind of skipped over this, but entry into Earth's atmosphere will cause the robot to grow because that's just that's just the natural order of things. That's that's science, and these guys love science.
0: Oh, but so Hercules and Cersei have to face off against this monster, and so they sort of defeat it with something akin to the Perseus method. Going up against Medusa, they use a reflective shield mm-hmm. to shoot the the deadly cosmic rays back at the uh, the, mo- the the robot. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one where this is this uh, Hercule This is not Herc's own cleverness. Cersei has to tell him what to do. Yeah. But you have a lot of cool
1: flashing lights in this sequence. It's very, very yeah. visually appealing.
0: Yeah. They're in a cave. There's a big three-headed metal dragon attacking them, shooting rays, and he's using the the shield to reflect them. Uh, but anyway, after they, they win that battle... Um, They get – oh, they end up moving on to what is one of my favorite visual moments in the movie, which is when Herc and Cersei have to cross the river Styx to go to the Temple of Eternity, which is this giant skull mountain with caves for eyes and a mouth. Mm. And so you get uh, the the river – the the boatman, Charon, uh, who's this creepy skull face. This scene I thought was actually pretty atmospheric and, and effective.
1: Yeah, I mean our characters are going to hell here. They're going to Hades, and uh, it it feels it feels good. Like a uh, number of sequences here could be a you know like a straight up metal album cover.
0: Uh, after this, let's see. There are a number of other adventures. There's the one where Hercules has to push the uh, the pillars of the now so called pillars of Hercules apart to to open the Mediterranean uh, Sea. Uh, there is uh, there's a great scene of bootstrap physics where they somehow access a. A chariot that I think would be pulled by a Pegasus, but the Pegasus isn't there. So mm-hmm. uh, Hercules, what does he do?
1: Oh, this is great! Yeah,
0: they, they yeah they strap uh,
1: uh what a boulder to the to the chariot, and then Hercules heaves the boulder through space. They jump into the chariot, and and the and the, the boulder that Hercules just threw pulls the chariot that they're now riding through space. Brilliant! I love yes. it.
0: <laughs> oh, and also so they they like fly through space and then they fall in an ocean and then they swim to the harbor of Thera, the, the bad guy's island, and the harbor there has what looks like a robot colossus of roads bestride the entrance to the harbor. So you if you like zoom in on it, it's it's like the Colossus. Um I, I think the actual Colossus probably was not straddling the entrance to the harbor, but it's often shown in art mm-hmm. straddling the entrance. Uh, uh and so it's doing that in this image here but it's a robot yes and there
1: are pyramids back there and everything's green it looks like we're at the like on the Necron homeworld or something it's yeah. it's trippy and there're like again like three moons or or suns in the sky in the background so uh it is it, it, this is clearly not even earth i don't know this movie's very vague uh, again with where things are happening but this does not feel at all like our planet
0: no, but I do love the way this part looks. And so we get a bunch of final confrontations. Hercules has to battle the third robot, which is like a robot centaur. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember that battle being all that notable. except that, it's,
1: un- it's more poking.
0: <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, Cersei is unceremoniously killed, and she has one of those really funny uh, lucid death things where she's like, oh, I'm dying. And then she just lucidly delivers some some final dialogue and then goes, eh. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, well remember she was depowered. She lost her powers because right. when a sorceress falls in love, they lose their powers. So Oh right. She so you know ultimately it's it's Hercules' fault for being just so lovably handsome.
0: Right. Uh, and there's a final confrontation where Hercules has to rescue Cassiopeia. He has to go into a volcano and fight mm-hmm. the evil King Minos. So that sword comes back into there. There's oh, like,
1: oh, oh my God, this sequence is so great because they're yeah. fighting on like a platform uh-huh. over the volcano where a phoenix is said to be captured. And Minos yeah. whips out like a rainbow light sword uh, mm-hmm. with which to murder Hercules. And at the time, and he's also like, also, hey, that's the, uh, the sword of Thebes back there. It's holding the phoenix in place. Nobody touch it. It's super important. So, of course, Hercules <laughs> draws the, the sword of Thebes, and then they, they get to sword fighting up
0: there. Who do you think wins? I mean, of course, Hercules wins. And then who is it who like ages rapidly and then turns into dust like in the last crusade? Is it Sybil Danning? It is Sybil Danning. Yes, because yeah. after Minos is defeated, she's like,
1: you may have won, but I'll kill you. And she's going to throw a spear. <laughs> yeah. But instead, Herc throws, throws the sword. Uh, she's impaled, falls, and we get that, yeah, that, that slow motion uh, disintegration sequence, which is nice.
0: Oh, yeah, but it, it's such a happy ending because Hercules rescues Cassiopeia, uh, they kill science once and for all, and <laughs> then they they escape from the burning island of Thera, and it's happily ever after. Yeah, they
1: embrace on the shore, and then they become a constellation in the sky. Uh-huh. It's uh, yeah, perfect,
0: absolutely perfect. <laughs> Take that, science.
1: All right. Well, this one this one was super fun. And yes, this is a very viewable film. Uh, if you subscribe to HBO Max, at least in the States, I'm never sure how these things work. Uh, you can currently find the first Hercules movie, uh, the one we watched on HBO Max in all of its beautiful, uh, colorful glory. Uh, it has also come out on Blu-ray in uh, recent years. Uh, so there's a very nice-looking Blu-ray edition of that. And I think you can also still pick up a Hercules double-feature DVD that includes both this film and the uh, the sequel, both Lou Ferrigno Hercules films, uh, in one DVD package.
0: Wait, if he already turned into a constellation, what's he going to do in the second one? Just Twinkle? I think they have to battle all the same characters again. Like it
1: had basically has the same uh, cast minus Sybil Danik. So I'm not sure exactly how it goes down, but uh, I have to admit, I'm kind of interested to check it out now. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close it out here, Uh, but uh, we'd love to hear from everyone out there. Uh, Your thoughts on 1983's Hercules, your thoughts on, Ooh, just any Hercules movie or muscle man movie in general, the legacy of muscle Man movies. Uh, all of that is fair game. Uh, if you would like to check out other episodes of Weird House Cinema that publishes every Friday in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed, we're primarily a science podcast with episodes core episodes coming out on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but we do listener mail on Mondays. We do an artifact short form episode on Wednesdays, and on Fridays, we put most of the serious concerns aside and just talk about a weird film. Um, I tend to blog I blog about these uh, episodes at samudamusic.com and uh, if, yeah, if you use Instagram uh, I have set up a, an Instagram account for Weird House Cinema. It's just Weird House Cinema, so you can follow it there.
0: Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. you stuff to blow your mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.